Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Whoa, what's that? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Oh, okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. Right now, FlexiSpot is offering huge Black Friday and Cyber Monday savings on the E7 Pro Plus standing desk with up to $160 off. Plus, use code 20OFF right now for an additional $20 off. Go to FlexiSpot.com today and use code 20OFF to get up to $180 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk from November 25th to the 28th only. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com today from the covid lows to today tqqq has doubled it used to be up ninefold but now it's double but if you look at the unleveraged qqq it's up something like 70 percent tqqq isn't up anywhere close to three times what qqq has done over you know the past year and a half because the volatility has really been a drag on the returns and if we keep seeing a lot of big ups and downs even if tqqq stays here you could lose money. Welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, a weekly podcast where we discuss what's going on in the ETF space. I'm Heather Bell, a managing editor with ETF.com. I'm joined by my longtime colleague, Samit Roy, ETF.com's senior ETF analyst. Hey, Samit. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Heather. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. I guess I just wanted to start this conversation off with a discussion of TQQQ. You wrote an article about how people are investing in it, like pouring money into it. I think it's pulled in $9 billion year to date or something like that. It's like they're betting on a technology recovery. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah, it's actually more than $9 billion. I'm amazed. It's $11 billion have gone into TQQQ this year. And that's just enormous, right? It's number nine on the overall inflows list out of all ETFs. And for context, number four on the list, TLT, which is the ISHA's 20 plus year treasury bond ETF, that has inflows of 14 billion or so. So TQQQ is in that ballpark. And that's just crazy to me. And if you look at the total assets for this fund, it's around $12 billion in AUM. So this year's inflows of $11 billion have simply made up for the huge losses that we've seen in the price of this fund, which is down something like 75% year to date. So that's interesting, and it really surprised me. And in my piece for ETF.com, I wrote, this is one of the few areas where buy the dip isn't completely dead. You look at crypto, you look at SPACs, cloud stocks, you name it, people have kind of just given up, right? But that's clearly not the case with TQQQ. People still believe that, yeah, the NASDAQ and technology, like you said, Heather, are going to eventually rebound and TQQQ could provide some really nice returns again. For context, this fund was up ninefold from the COVID lows through the end of 2021. It's given up pretty much, not all of those gains, but it's given up 80% of this game. So we'll see if it can repeat that mega performance that it had, you know, back in 2020, 2021. 
I don't know if it can, but we'll see, right? This is obviously a very speculative vehicle that's used by a lot of retail traders. And that's totally fine as long as they know what they're getting into. Only time is going to tell whether uh, buy the dip <laughs> ends up working here or not. What do you think, Heather? Would you be buying the dip on TQQQ? You know I am the chicken of the sea when it comes to investing. <laughs> I like my understanding of leveraged funds is that you need a sustained trend to really benefit from if it's leveraged or inverse. It needs to like pick a direction kind of and go. I think you can even lose money on like a leveraged fund if the market's really choppy, but even if the overall trend is upward. Totally. Yeah. So I I find this to be incredibly risky and just it kind of makes my blood run cold when I think about retail investors adopting this strategy. <laughs> I, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I talked about the COVID lows. From the COVID lows to today, TQQQ has doubled. It used to be up ninefold, but now it's double. But if you look at the unleveraged QQQ, it's up something like 70%. So you know, this pretty much illustrates what you're talking about, that decay that you get with leveraged ETFs because of volatility. TQQQ isn't up anywhere close to three times what QQQ has done over, you know, the past year and a half because the volatility has really been a drag on the returns. And if we keep seeing a lot of big ups and downs, even if TQQQ stays here, you could lose money. Wow. That's alarming. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So Heather, I want to shift gears a little bit. You wrote a story this week about how the SEC is looking to increase transparency around mutual funds and ETF fees and returns and things like that. What's that about? Basically, they're just revising the requirements for shareholder reports and annual reports. They're streamlining it and they're encouraging fund issuers to include visually appealing design or imagery. So I looked at a sample that they circulated and it included very comprehensive fee information, like how much you could expect to make over a certain period if the fund moved a certain amount and what uh, your actual cost would be, how much you would be up. And then like the second page includes a line graph showing historical performance over time. And it's, I think in total, these proposed changes would reduce the size of a report to three pages and it would include all the relevant information. Now, if you wanted something more comprehensive, the uh, new rules kind of say that the issuers have to provide you with that um, free of charge. I think they either have to mail it to you or send it to you electronically. There was also some stuff about misleading fee representations, like the uh, fees, I believe, have to be consistent in the marketing materials with most recent prospectus uh, type of thing. So, I mean, I think it's good for investors. I think the fund issuers are probably a little unhappy about having to kind of add to their costs, possibly. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the sample that you linked to in your article, and it, it definitely simplifies things. And you can get a really great sense of the the fees for the fund, what in the portfolio, how, how your returns are impacted. So, you know, I do like this idea of kind of distilling those 100 plus page reports down into something that's a little easier to grasp for the average investor. Yeah, I, I think it will be good for investors. My ADHD brain absolutely appreciated it when I was looking at it. I was like, oh, this is very 
uh, clear and very well defined. And it applies to mutual funds and ETFs. So I think that's a good thing. Awesome. You actually wrote a story late last week about um, kind of the housing ETFs falling off a little bit. And I was reading today that interest in mortgages is up 2.2% with the uh, interest rates on mortgages kind of coming down a little bit, like very slightly. I think it's from 6.9% to 6.7% or something like that. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, we have seen a slight um, downtick in the mortgage rates and that's going to help the housing market because we did get a week ago Last Friday, data on existing home sales, and we saw they fell for a ninth straight month through October. And they're down to a very low level now. If you strip out the COVID bottom, when economic activity completely froze up, then this is the lowest level for existing home sales since 2011, which, as you know, was during the aftermath of the financial crisis. So this market is completely frozen right now, and it's because of those same dynamics we've talked about. Houses are unaffordable for buyers because of record prices and really high mortgage rates. And then on the other hand, sellers are reluctant to sell and trade up to another house because they don't want to give up the low mortgage rates that they have and switch into a higher mortgage rate. Now, the National Association of Realtors said that we might be nearing a bottom in terms of home sales. And their reasoning is that mortgage rates have fallen from, I think it's around 7.35% at the high, and now we're around 6.85%. And like you said, we have seen an uptick uh, in terms of mortgage demand because of that. And if we continue to see more relief on the rate front, that should make both buyers and sellers more active in the market. But we'll see. I mean, 6.85% is still pretty high relative to what we've seen in recent years when mortgage rates were around 3%, right? Wouldn't you agree, Heather? Oh, yeah. That's like double what I'm paying. Yeah, exactly, right? And then that would make you reluctant. Even if you wanted to move into another house, uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to give up that low mortgage rate. Absolutely. Yeah, I I'm in Denver right now and our housing prices have skyrocketed. If I had to move right now, I would be very unhappy about that. Yeah, totally understand. So, so Heather, you wrote a story about Fidelity converting six thematic mutual funds into ETFs. Why was that important? Well, I thought those were really interesting just because I don't think we've seen many thematic funds convert. They've mostly been kind of broad-based and the cannabis mutual fund that converted into an ETF did not last very long. It closed after, uh, I think, seven months or something like that. Fidelity is converting six disruptive innovation thematic ETFs from mutual funds to ETFs. The fund's are actively managed. They use a quantitative strategy. So they kind of fit in with like that disruptive innovation, actively managed theme, although it's less stock picking like uh, the ARC funds and more a focus on, you know, a rules-based selection methodology. The funds that are converting include some interesting categories. So it's automation, communications, finance, medicine, technology, and then an overall disruptors fund. And what's interesting is these funds, each fund has the same eight managers. And it seems like it's a 
cohesive team at Fidelity that manages these funds, and they're going to carry over into the post-conversion funds um, and continue managing them. I just... My thing about conversions is that I feel like from what I've observed, I don't have the hard data for this. From what I've observed, funds that are small that convert have generally stayed fairly small where the, you know, larger, more popular funds that convert, they're like a large mutual fund, they tend to hang on to their assets and even grow. So I'm not sure that converting funds is a guarantee for success. Overall, this whole family has, I think, about 80 million in assets under management. I don't know. Have you got any thoughts there? Interesting. Yeah. So um, that's pretty small, 80 million. And they seem to be going up against the ARC suite, right? Everything you mentioned, automation, finance, um, medicine, that strikes me as similar to ARC-G, ARC-F, and things like that. So given that, I probably agree with you. They're going to stay small, right? What are the odds that Fidelity Disruptive Tech ETFs can go head to head with the branding and marketing behind the machine? Even though Fidelity is obviously a huge company in and of itself, but disruptive tech seems to be a type of category that appeals mostly to retail investors. I could be wrong about that. And obviously ARC has more mind share um, when it comes to that, you know, area. I don't know. What do you think, Heather? I, I think you're right. I hadn't even picked up on the fact that this is very similar to the art categories. They've been around since I think 2000, let's see, 16. So they've been around a while. Um, I don't know. I think it will be hard for them. I don't think investors in those funds will see the like wildly positive performance that investors in the ARC funds saw, but maybe they won't see those steep downturns either. So steady exposure to disruptive technology or disruptive innovation may have some appeal to people who maybe got burned by the ARC funds. Yeah, definitely. And I'd be curious to see, I actually haven't looked into it. Have any other disruptive tech ETFs outside of the ARC suite taken off? Like I know there was like a moonshot ETF, things like that. Have you seen any of them take off to the extent that ARC has? I have not, but I have, I haven't really kept up with that space. But one fund that has kind of, is kind of along the same lines of it, but uses an index is the iShares Exponential Technologies ETF. Rick Edelman was a big supporter of that fund. He like helped design it, I believe, or he pushed for that concept to be brought to market. And he invested a lot of his firm's assets into it. And it's actually performed very well. And I I don't know what it's done this year right now, but that fund has always intrigued me and I've always paired it in my head with X with uh, ARKK, although there's not much overlap between the uh, two portfolios. But, you know, XT has kind of focused on that disruptive innovation, the exponential themes, and it performed prior to this year. I don't know what it's done this year, but prior to this year, it performed quite well relative to the ARKK funds. It didn't have that big downswing that they had. Yeah, it's it's even holding up a little bit better than the NASDAQ. I'm looking, it's down 23% year to date. ARKK is down 61% and the triple Qs are down 27%. Wow, that's really interesting. 
but yeah that's how big is it right now sorry <laughs> i think it has uh three billion dollars in assets if i'm not mistaken gotcha interesting interesting well i think we're gonna have to end it there Sameet, it is always fun to have these conversations with you thanks for uh being on the podcast with me definitely they're super fun as always listeners we appreciate you tuning in please join us next week for another episode of exchange traded fridays if you want to listen to older episodes in the podcast they're available on etf.com and on all the major podcast platforms have a great weekend Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 